Born in Fermanagh and based there for much of his 50-year tenure as a priest, Father Joe McVeigh is a lifelong civil rights activist and Republican. In today's podcast, as part of the Guhina Octohain, Voices of 81 series, he reflects on the role of the Catholic Church during the time of the prison protests in the late 1970s into the turbulent era of the 1980 and 1981 hunger strikes. Well, uh, the fact that the Cardinal took time and um, to go into the cache at that time was very important for the prisoners uh, and their families, you know, he, he would have been under some pressure to do so. But he, he, he responded very well to the visit and came out and said that it reminded him of the sewers of Calcutta, what the prisoners were experiencing in Longkesh at that time. And uh, he uh, made his position very clear, you know, that uh, the British government should uh, uh, act to, to make these concessions to the prisoners, uh, the five demands which they, they were looking for. Uh, certainly, uh, the protest began in uh, the, on the 1st of March in 76. So this was 78 when he was so there were already uh, two years on protest. Now, um, as I understand it, the Cardinal was making representations to the Dublin government. And of course, he, he also engage, was engaged with the Northern Ireland office in trying to uh, persuade them to concede uh, to make concessions uh, or to even uh, engage in negotiations with the prisoners. Uh, but of course that didn't really happen. Then the, the, the big date then was coming up was the visit of Pope John Paul II in, seven, in 79, 19, uh, 1979. And I understand that uh, a hunger strike was talked about throughout 78 and into 79 and uh, the leader of the prisoners, uh, Brendan Hughes at that time, was uh, asked to uh, postpone. Uh, they were thinking in terms of having a hunger strike while the Pope came to Ireland, uh, but the Cardinal O'Fee uh, thought it would have been better to postpone that idea because he was engaged in negotiations and he thought it, might, uh, it, it wouldn't go down too well if, uh, they felt they were putting pressure on the, on him and on that. So anyway, the prisoners uh, conceded uh, and decided to hold off the hunger strike and until uh, all negotiations broke down sometime in, in 79, and sometime, sorry, in 80, in 80, the, the negotiation behind the scenes with the Northern Ireland office and with the Dublin government and whoever else were, were involved at that particular time. Uh, I, I myself was I was on the fringes of things uh, at that time. I used to be a regular visit visitor to Longkesh in the early seventies. Uh, after internment came in, I was a regular every Sunday or nearly every Sunday for mass. So I knew the cages very well. I understood I understood what the prisoners were demanding because I'd seen what the their situation when I was there. Uh, and then that all changed when uh, the criminalization policy was introduced. I think it was in 75, 74, 75. After that, I wasn't a regular visitor to the block, hitch blocks as they were then, but I was up a few times and I could see a tremendous change. And I knew then the prisoners were deeply unhappy with this new regime that was introduced. But uh, 
and I knew what their demands were about. So I, I got involved and I went to the Hitch Black Armagh uh, committee meetings and the chair of that was Father Pierce O'Doul, a Franciscan priest from Dublin, uh, who was very sympathetic uh, and a committed Republican himself. Uh, he, he was very sympathetic to the plight of the prisoners in, in Long Cash. And uh, he and uh, Bernadette McCallisky were involved in this Hitchblock uh, Armagh committee. So uh, we thought that this committee would put pressure, especially on the Dublin government, to act on behalf of the prisoners. Now, what happened then was the Pope arrived, and, and to my great disappointment, he did not refer to the situation in the prison. I, I was expecting he would refer to the uh, prisoners and, uh, and the protest and uh, put some pressure on the British government, but, but he didn't. I have the feeling that he was greatly influenced in all his uh, speeches while he was in Ireland by the then Bishop, no, he was in Arda, Cahal B. Daly. Uh, he, was, he was the Bishop of Arda and Clonmacnoise at the time. I, I think he had a big influence, more so than Cardinal Thomas Ophi uh, at that time, so that uh, there was no mention of the plight of the prisoners in Long Cache, and the Pope just made this plea for an end to violence, uh, which uh, I suppose was understandable in this, given who, who he is and all that. But it did seem to me like a little bit one-sided. The, the violent, the, he, he was appealing for an end to violence by one side of the conflict. But anyway, uh, it was a bit, dis it was all disappointing at that time. And uh, of course, uh, negotiations broke down in 1980 and the first hunger strike began and uh, in October and uh, prisoners come off that thinking they had won their concessions, but as uh, it, it didn't work out. And uh, I remember being home, I, I went to the America, New York in 1980, just before, just around August time. And I remember coming home at Christmas time and talking to Bernadette McAlisky about the situation. And uh, she said that the prisoners were deeply unhappy with the uh, settlement uh, that at the end of the hunger strike, the first hunger strike, and that we could nearly expect another hunger strike, which happened on the 1st of March when Bobby Sands, who became the OC, began his hunger strike. Now, he, he uh, obviously had many contacts. The H-Block Armagh committees in Ireland were active, and so was the committee in New York, in which I got involved. They were very active in putting pressure on, on American politicians and on clergy. And they persuaded Father Daniel Berrigan and a few other clergy to come over to Long Cash and to meet with the families and all that. Uh, so at that level, People were doing quite a lot of work to try and help the prisoners and to support them and hopefully resolve the, the issue and gain their five demands. It didn't work out. And even the people of Fermanagh South Tyrone, and I was happy to be a part of that campaign to elect Bobby Sands in uh, March, April. Uh, he was elected in uh, April. So anyway, I came home for his, his uh, for that election campaign and uh, sadly he, he died after 66 days. Bobby had a good relationship and good respect for all the priests who came to visit him. Uh, he was obviously a very deeply committed human being, committed to 
republicanism, but also a deeply spiritual man from, from, uh, from his readings and his diary, I, I get that. And, and then I got to know his parents and his brother and, and his family, his sisters uh, at that time. And I could see these were a deeply uh, committed family and very, very, very sad about what was happening. Uh, and I've kept up friendship with him ever since really. And his poor mother died some time years ago and she never really got over nor did his father uh, get over the terrible sadness of that time. But to get back to the church's role, I mean, the pressure was on the church people. Uh, I remember even going to visit Cardinal Tomas himself in Armagh uh, with a delegation from Fermanagh to talk to him and see what, what could be done. But he said that uh, he wasn't getting great response from London or from Dublin at that time, but he was determined to keep the pressure on. We went to see the papal nuncio too in Dublin and see what he could do. He was very sympathetic, Dr. Alibrandi, but again, felt his hands were tied and there was nothing, if, if Thatcher was going to be so uh, intransigent, there was nothing much that they could do. And of course, then there was the intervention of the Irish Commission for Justice and Peace. Uh, they came along, spent two days talking to the prisoners after the first four prisoners had died. Uh, and they met up with a, a group of the hunger strikers and uh, they, they weren't too, they didn't persuade uh, any of them that they were, were going to be able to, to make any uh, impression on the political world outside on uh, either the Northern Ireland office or you know, which represent the British government or with the Dublin government. So uh, it was, all from our point of view, frustrating and disappointing from the church point of view, from a priest, from my point of view, very disappointing that our church wasn't able to do a lot more. And then came, along came an intervention, a very unwelcome intervention, in my opinion, from the Cardinal uh, Archbishop of uh, Westminster, Cardinal Hume, Basil Hume, who uh, said that the hunger strike was, in his view, suicide. That was absolutely uh, supportive of what Thatcher was saying, you know, at the time. So in other words, he was supporting Thatcher rather than the, the hunger strikers who were under such pressure at the time. So it was greatly disappointing that he would come out with that. And I, I took the opportunity to contradict him and say that he didn't really understand the Irish tradition uh, of hunger striking if he could make a statement like that, that these men certainly were not intending to take their own lives. That was totally in the hands of the British government to make five simple concessions to them, which, which they always had up till 1975, uh, and which were won actually by, by a hunger strike in 72 in the Crumlin Road. So uh, it was just a dreadful time of tension and worry and anxiety. Uh, for all of us on the outside and all of us who were close to the families, you know, who, who, who were very, very hurt and very uh, upset at, the, at that time. So I, I can, I, I mean, I feel it just as much today as I did then, you know, it was so emotional and so sad at that time. I'll never forget when I heard the news that Bobby Sands had died 
on that date, uh, that date in, uh, in May at night, it was, it was early morning and I, I was listening to the radio in bed when I heard it and uh, I certainly didn't sleep well that night. I was very, very upset about it. Uh, it was like a member of my own family who, who had died uh, on that occasion. And even then, Francis Hughes and Ray McCreesh. And of course, I knew Father Brian McCreesh very well. I'd been through Maynooth with him, the brother of Raymond's, and, uh, and I knew some of his family members. And uh, it was a dreadful time for all of them. And we were all trying to do our best to put pressure on the Dublin government, put pressure on the church, put pressure on the Northern Ireland office to make these simple concessions. Uh, the Pope sent over for Father John McGee, who was his secretary, I believe. He was a Kiltegan priest. He, he brought in messages of assurance of prayers and brought in crucifixes for the prisoners, which they appreciated. But again, he, he wasn't able to uh, give them any uh, hope, really, that he could help them. And they felt, they actually, from talking to them since that, they felt that these were people up there coming in to talk down to prisoners. They didn't realize, they underestimated the commitment of the prisoners to their cause, and they underestimated their integrity. In my opinion, now looking back on it, uh, they, they, they thought they could persuade the prisoners to come off the hunger strike without any concessions. So. Uh, they underestimated their resolve to, to, stick, to stick to their principles. And uh, as I understand it, the prisoners were, were engaged in an act of uh, solidarity with one another, and they were men of integrity. They believed in their cause, and they believed in the cause uh, for which they were put in prison. And they felt that the pressure, rather than putting pressure on them, the pressure should have been on the British government to uh, restore their political status. I do think uh, it was more tokenistic than substantial, you know, they, they didn't seem to have the political clout. They didn't seem to be able to persuade the Dublin government. When Hawhey went out and then Fitzgerald came in and uh, as Tisha, none of them, the Dublin government seemed to be uh, hoping that the prisoners would concede, would give up, would, would give in. It, that wasn't going to happen, certainly. Uh, they weren't going to give in that easily. So whatever then uh, persuaded Father Dennis Fall to intervene, I'm not to this day quite sure why or who persuaded him to intervene, but I know that his intervention was resented by the prisoners because they felt he went behind backs, he went behind their backs to persuade the mothers, to persuade their sons to give up the hunger strike. That's why they uh, were so hostile to him afterwards. And they, could, they didn't expect him to do that, you know, because he had a great record for supporting the, the prisoners, you know, and for denouncing all kinds of injustice up, up until that. So it, it's hard to understand if he was being persuaded by Bishop Cahill Daly or somebody to do to do what he did. Now the hunger strike was going to end at some stage, but the way he went about it was very unhelpful, un uh, and I think this, the church has suffered greatly because because of that, because of the way they handled the whole thing.
because of their uh, interventions and their and their whole political approach anyway was all wrong from from day one as far as i'm concerned all, all it was a very one-sided approach condemnation after condemnation of violence which was one-sided uh, when the the emphasis should on the state violence and the british violence uh, they, they put the emphasis on the republican violence uh, which was wrong from day from the beginning so the churches in working class areas in the north and the south the church has suffered the consequences to this day of, of the hunger strike i think it was the major turning point in irish history and in the relationship of the church and the people in ireland the official church that is i mean republicans will still have their own beliefs in that but uh, I think their, their, uh, their esteem for the church is very low, let's say. Well, I would just like to say that, that the church, uh, since the beginning of the Troubles, the church was divided, you know, between those at the top and, and the people at the, uh, on, the, on the ground. There was a great, there's been a great division there. I suppose it goes back into history. The church has always taken the, the official church, that is, has taken the establishment point of view. And I would like to, you know, say that the, that this policy of the church continued well from 19, 1916. I mean, they denounced the 1916 rebellion right through the War of Independence and right down this, the years, you know, the church uh, supported partition, really, supported the Act of Union in 1800, official church, but the people, uh, of course, as they used to say, took their religion from Rome and their politics from home, the people remained Catholic anyway, and as, as best they could. But there were some priests, I suppose not, not, not many, who were on the side of the people. Like I think of Father Des Wilson, my dear friend, and Father Brian McCreesh, uh, and some others, like Father Pierce O'Doodle, who uh, clearly took the side of the people and I suppose uh, I, I tried to do that too, to take the side of the people who were being oppressed and beaten down. I think we, we should all learn from that. Uh, there's a lesson there for, for the church today, if it's willing to, to learn from it.